Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, visit our website at overflowdfw.com. Well, hey, we're continuing our series today called Striver. Look at somebody and say, stop your striving. Stop your striving. We talked about that on week one. We talk about halting the hustle. You remember that? We're developing new strides. We've, we said that, you know what? I'm not, I'm not going to be, I'm not just going to be working so hard to do everything on my own. My pursuit is going to be Jesus. My pursuit is going to be Jesus and his kingdom. Week two, we talked about not, not choosing the, the bowl over blessing or our, over our birthright rather, but we talked about that we are going to choose <clears throat> our virtues over our vices. Remember that we talked about that? And then week three, last week, we talked about stop performing and stop pretending because we, we're really good at that sometimes. Sometimes we're good at, at performing for others and trying to, trying to put on something that, that is not us or trying to pretend to be somebody else or despising somebody else in order to get a blessing. But what we're learning is that, that and, and we're growing to understand, <clears throat> is that the blessing comes from intimacy. The blessing flows from intimacy. So what we're, we're doing, what our strive is and what our new stride is, is it's getting closer to the Father's heart. It's not, it's not me working so hard. It's actually me learning to trust and me learning to fall in love with Jesus. And we'll talk a little bit more about that next week. So if you remember the story last week, it's where Jacob went in and deceived his uh, his father into giving him something that actually belonged to him, but the father didn't know it, and he stole the blessing from Esau. Remember, and uh, and he got he got that through his conniving ways, through his striving ways, and so when he got that, we understand that as we've talked about Esau a little bit in this series, is that Esau was a godless, violent man. I mean, this was his reputation. This is what he was known for, and so when this happened, he became very angry at Jacob. Right? Remember Jacob dwelt in tw- tents. He wasn't, he wasn't like an MMA fighter, right? He, he couldn't even grow a beard, right? He had soft skin. And so he was a little bit scared of his burly brother who was now going to come after him and take his life because he took, actually Esau had sold what belonged to Jacob, but now that he actually had it, he had a problem with him. So Esau sets out to kill him. So Rebecca, once again, is controlling Jacob's life. And she says, hey, listen, this is what you need to do. You need to go off 450 miles away, and you need, to, you need to go to my brother Laban and marry one of his daughters, and then after a period of time, you can come back. So he goes to his father, Isaac, again, and Isaac blesses Jacob. Now, this was the blessing that was really the blessing that sets in, and you can read about it in Genesis chapter 28. We're not going to cover it today, but in Genesis 28, this is the blessing that was actually passed down from Abraham to Isaac and now to Jacob. This is where he starts speaking to him, nations. And we're going to continue the story here in Genesis 28. You tracking? So it says this in verse 10, Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. Everybody said he left. And when he reached a certain place, certain place, say that, certain place, he stopped. Say he stopped. So when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had taken, because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and laid down to sleep. Now, we haven't seen this kind of activity from Jacob yet, right? We haven't seen him sleeping. We haven't seen him chilling, right? He knows no chill, right? And so here he is. He gets this rock, puts his head on it, 
and sleeps. And when he slept, he had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth and its top reaching to heaven. Some translations say a ladder, but if you study it in the Greek and you study it out, you'll actually see that it was more of a stairway. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it, everybody say there above it. There above it stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. Now, he hadn't gotten to the Jacob part yet, right? I will give you and your descendants. I mean, you know, it's not always about you, but sometimes it's about what's coming through you. Come on. It's not about you. It's about what, what's coming from you. It's about the next generation. What decisions are you making for them? I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Everybody say dominion. Sounds a lot like what God told Adam, doesn't it? Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. All peoples. Everybody say all the peoples. All the peoples. All peoples of the earth will be blessed. Everybody say influence. All the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. There it is again. I am with you, and I'll watch watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. Surely the Lord was here, and I didn't even know. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called the place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me, and on this journey I am taken and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I may return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house and all of you, in all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. So he makes this commitment to God. He said, God, you're going to take care of me, and I'm going to serve you. And I, In fact, I'll even give you a tithe. I'll give you an offering. I'll give you my worship. So here we are in this story with Jacob. I mean, his, all of his conniving, come on, all of his deception has finally got him on the run. Now he's striving from something, right? He's striving from his brother Esau. And we, we see this. The first thing that happens in our narrative today is that Jacob moves on. He left Beersheba and set out for Haran, 450 to 500 miles. We're talking a two to three week journey for Jacob. Now this has got to be tough for Jacob because he's used to getting things pretty quick, right? He's used to kind of getting things the way he wants. But he couldn't, he couldn't just jump on a plane. He actually had to take a journey, How many know that he had to leave the old 
behind and move to the next place. And whenever he was leaving Beersheba, he wasn't, he wasn't just leaving the town he was from. He, we actually begin to see a shift in his character. We begin to see some shifts. So he was leaving the old place, but he was also leaving the old striver behind. And so finally we see some progress with Jacob. And I love how it says this, that he reached a certain place. Now we know later that it's called Luz, which means like almond branch or something like that. I mean, it's really like a non-existent place. It says a certain place later, it says Luz. In other words, nobody really cared about Luz. Jacob just recognized it later, but it was just a certain place. Just a certain place. See, you don't have to get there in order for God to move. And I think sometimes we think, you know, when I get there, when this happens, when I get this promotion, when I get married, when everything is just the way I want it, whenever I get to that place, God will move. But how many know that God is the God of the middle? God is the God of the middle. And sometimes we think he's only the God of the beginning. And sometimes we say that he's only the God of the end. He's the Alpha and the Omega. Understand, when we say that he's the God of the Alpha and Omega, we're saying he's God of all of it. He's the God of the beginning. He's the God of the end. But I'm telling you today, God wants to meet you in the middle. He wants to meet you in the middle of your journey. And in fact, I would say this. We call it, sometimes we say he's Jehovah Sneaky. Because a lot of times, he just shows up in a certain place. There was nothing significant about that place until God showed up. In fact, most people just knew it as a certain place. Luz. But Jacob meets with God in a certain place. See, the significance of moments defines the significance of places. The significance of moments defines the significance of places. The reason why places are significant, it's like your home. The reason why your house is significant is because the moments that have happened there. We have, we have two homes in El Paso, Texas. One home, our daughter Moriah was born in. That place is significant. That house is significant. When we're in town, we'll drive by that house. Why? Because significant things happen in that house. We have a house, another house in El Paso where our son Judah was born. That house is significant because our son Judah was born in that house. That, that place is significant to us. Why? Because the place is significant? No, it's because of what happened there. So the significance of moments define the significance of, of places. So don't be searching for the right place. Be searching for the right moment. Because let the moments define the places. And so we see this. Jacob has this incredible moment. You don't have to get there for God to move. Jacob lays down. Here it is. Finally. There's an old Jason Upton song that says, Finally, Jacob's laying down. And while he sleeps, I will dream. And we see Jacob laying down. He's done his thing. He's put forth his striving. And finally, he rests. And this is when he begins to see God move. He's done all his hard work. He's worked his skill set. And here he is, sleeping. When the striving ceased, the blessing came. The dream came. God shows him, begins to show him. He had heard it probably his whole life from his mom. But now he starts to see the things that were spoken by his mother. Then he begins to see the blessing that Isaac spoke over him before he left. But he wasn't just laying down. 
He was laying on a rock. A rock. Everybody say a rock. Now, I'm thinking you're going on a 500-mile journey. <laughs> you didn't pack a pillow. <laughs> I mean, anybody else? Am I the only one that looks at the best thing that you can find to rest your head in on a rock? I believe this is a prophetic picture of what we need to rest our head upon. Psalm uh, 62 verse 1 says this, my soul, David says, my soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock in my salvation. The prophet Isaiah says it this way, you will keep in perfect peace all those who trust in you. All those whose thoughts, where do your thoughts come from? Your head. Where do you need to rest your head on? On the rock. And this is what it says. Those whose thoughts are fixed on you, trust in the Lord always for the Lord God is the eternal rock. Where is your head? Where are you resting your thoughts? Are you putting your thoughts on the rock? But see, we don't, we don't just have these amazing Old Testament scriptures and these beautiful poems and prophecies written about a rock. We have a man who is Christ the rock. And it says this about him, that Peter's testimony says this, that we are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God. What is that a, ch- a chosen cornerstone? A cornerstone was the most precious of stones in building. So if you were going to build a building in those days, the, the, the primary stone, the first stone that you picked was the cornerstone because it, w- it would be the most solid, stable, structured, finely tuned, finely chiseled stone that you would put on the corner of a house and all the other stones were built around this cornerstone. So when we speak of Christ, what we're saying is we are saying, I will build my life on Jesus. I will build my thought life on Jesus. I can rest in this worthy cornerstone. He is the rock. God is my rock. And I think it's so significant that Jacob lies down and he sleeps and he trusts on the rock. And then he dreams. And then he dreams. You know, this moment didn't happen so Led Zeppelin could have a hit song. Right? And we've labeled this many times Jacob's dream. But it wasn't Jacob's dream. It was God's dream. He just put Jacob in his dream. See, it's not about your dream. It's about God's dream. But guess what? He wants you in it. See, it's not God's plan for your life. It's your life for God's plan. It's God's dream. What part do you play in it? Will you stop asking God to fulfill your dreams and start realizing that you'll be most fulfilled when you're fulfilling his dreams? When you're saying, God, I want your dream for my life, not my dream for my life, your dream for my life. That's where fulfillment comes. But see, we have this fear that says, if I surrender myself to the will of God, it might not be as good as my idea. Beloved, your dreams are so small. Jacob had dreams. I mean, he strived, he worked hard for his dreams. So we say it's Jacob's dream. It wasn't Jacob's dream. It's God's dream. It's a bigger dream, a better dream. And it, was, and it wasn't Jacob's ladder. That's what we call it, right? Or Jacob's staircase. It wasn't Jacob's ladder. 
is God's ladder. Jacob just got to see it. So we have these moments in Scripture, and we label them according to a person. No, no, no. God just decides to put Jacob in his story. That's why Jacob is significant. Not because he strived, but because God said, I want you in it. I want you in my dream. This whole thing that we live, this whole kingdom thing that we do, it's just God's dream. It's been his dream from the beginning. It was his dream in the garden. It was his dream on the cross. It's his dream in Revelation. It's God's dream. And you play a role in God's dream. It's better than your dream. See, his dream has always been the kingdom. It's always been about God taking dominion on the earth. I know we don't like that word because it sounds aggressive. How does he do it? He says, I'm going to do it through your offspring. Producing offspring is pleasurable. Right, husbands? It's okay. Producing offspring comes from intimacy. That's how God takes dominion. Spiritually speaking, it's through the gospel, through people coming to Jesus. That's how we take dominion. How do we take dominion? We go when we own businesses? Ah. We take dominion by leading people into the kingdom. That's how we take dominion, our offspring. You all okay? So Jacob finds himself in the middle of God's dream. Now, when we rest, listen, and I want to talk about these, these, these points today. There's a ton in this scripture. I mean, we could do a whole series just upon God's ladder, God's dream for Jacob. I mean, we, we could totally build a whole series on this. Easy. But I want to pull out some, some nuggets from this. As, as we've done, we will continue. But when we rest in God's dream, this is what we find. When you surrender yourself and you say, God, I'll, just, I'll, I'll give it all for your dream. Open my eyes. Let me see your dream. And how do I fit in? And Jacob saw he fit in by advancing the kingdom. He is, in fact, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So when we rest in God's dream, we find, first of all, providence. Everybody say providence. You can also throw the word in there, provision. There's always provision and providence. And it says this about this ladder. It says, the Lord stood above it. This ladder in, that runs from the earth to the stairwell, from the earth to heaven, God stood above it. There above it stood the Lord. How many know that God stands above it? Whatever is in your life, if you're yielded to Jesus and you've given yourself over to God's dream, he stands above it. Say that, the Lord stands above it. The Lord stands above it. And sometimes when you're going through something that you don't understand that might be confusing like Jacob had in that moment, you just got to look up and go, the Lord stands above it. I don't understand all this, but the Lord stands above it. Some of you need to make that a declaration over your life. You need to stop asking questions like, why, 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 we, 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 and just start going, the Lord stands above it. See, when you find yourself in the middle of God's dream and knowing that your life is all about fulfilling your dream, you know that he's the stairmaster. He's the dream master. He stands above it. 
That's what we're calling this message today, the Stairmaster. God's the Stairmaster. I don't have to, listen, if it's God's dream, it's his job to fulfill it. If it's your dream, then you're going to have to spend the rest of your life hustling to get it. Halt the hustle. Give in to God's dream. The Lord stands above it. If it's his dream, then it's his job to deliver it. So listen, we can have confidence in the providence. Everybody say that. Confidence in the providence. You can have confidence in the providence of God. God is a good provider. He takes very good care of those that are his. So find yourself in the middle of God's dream and look up. The Lord stands above it. And then he tells Jacob this, I will be with you and I'll watch over you wherever you go. I've got it all taken care of. Just get in on my dream. And many times what we want, if I may, we want the provision of God, but we don't want to be in on his dream. We want God to provide for our dreams. He can. I mean, he's got the resources to do it. But when you start following his dream, the provision's already there. The providence is already there. And some of you, you've been running in lack. It's not because you haven't managed your finances well. It's not even because you're not tithing. It's just because you're just doing it all for you. Because it's your kingdom, not his. Get in on his dream. Y'all okay? Y'all are quiet. Number two. In God's dream, we find a person. We have the angels. They're awesome. They're kind of persons. Angel persons. I'm sure they have personalities, maybe. Don't get an angel worship and all that weird stuff, by the way. Well, my angel. Okay. It's weird. <laughs> How about Jesus? I'm not saying that... You might not have angels assigned to you. Scripture says that we do, that if we're advancing the message, then God sends his messengers to protect us. But don't be distracted by them. They're just the FedEx people. And that's what the angels are. <laughs> they're deliverers. They're protectors, right? They're, they're security systems sometimes. Hedges and, yeah, okay. <laughs> a person. We get a person. I love that he put his head on the rock. Jesus is the rock. But listen, Jesus is also the ladder. Remember John 14, 6, he says, I am the way. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the ladder. How do you get to the Father? Who's the ladder? Jesus is the ladder. Jacob's seeing this. And then this is what Jesus says about it to, to a guy named Nathaniel in John chapter 1, verse 51. I tell you the truth. You will all see heaven open and the angels of God coming, going up and coming down on the Son of Man. The one who is the stairway. <laughs> the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. Who's the stairway? Jesus. Jesus gives us access to the Father. Everybody say accessibility. Everybody say permission. That's the next thing you get. So you get provision. You get a person. You get permission. Do you know if you are in Christ, that if you surrendered yourself to God's dream for you, if you've yielded your life to Jesus, you have permission to approach God. 
See, I, I, I came from this school that thought, if I sinned today, I better not lift my hand during worship. If I, if I fought with my wife before I got to church, I better not express myself during worship. How many of you have ever felt that? You know what that is? That's shame. That's condemnation. That's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit says, lift up your hands and surrender, and let me start dealing with the root issues of your heart. Not go away because you're not fit to be here. Let's just all be real for a moment. None of us are fit to be here. Jesus made us fitting. He saw us worthy, and he made us fit to be here. But we got permission. And I love how Jacob says that. He says, surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't know it. I didn't even know that God was here. But all of a sudden, I got permission. He was here. I didn't know it, but I got access. I got like the backstage pass. I can go in. I got permission. I got the password. The password is Jesus. What's the password? Jesus. The person gave me permission. And this is what happens. I can go to the Father anytime up the stairwell. This is what it says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. It's talking about the high priest ministry. Under the old covenant, you know what you had to do to go to God? You had to go to a man. And you had to go, well, this is where I screwed up this week. Here's my sacrifices, all this kind of stuff. Here, let me do all these duties, and then you can talk to God for me. And Jesus said, let me take care of all of that. Let me put an end to that system. I've got a new system. I'll be the way. So Hebrews devotes itself to Jesus being our high priest. I encourage you to study the book of Hebrews. Amazing. It says this in verse 16 of Hebrews chapter 4. So let us come boldly. (laughs) Some translations say with confidence. So what we do is when we screw up, normally we don't come boldly. We come reluctantly. We come with hesitation. Lord, I did it again. Oops. Right? I did it again. (laughs) Again? Yeah. I know it's been like a couple thousand times. Let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. That we might receive his mercy and find grace to help when we need it most. When do you need it most? Right now. <laughs> Come boldly, beloved. You got permission. You say, is that permission to sin? No, no, no. It's permission to not sin. It's permission to approach God to him for him to cleanse you, for him to put new desires in your heart. You have permission. See, permission to get what we need. And then we get power to delegate what others need. See, at the throne of grace, you don't, and this is, this is where we've got to break free from our Western American consumer mindset. I don't just come to Jesus because I have permission to get what I need. I'd get that. But if you remember, it's not about me. I'm just in the dream. And so now that I have permission to get what I need, I have power to delegate for the needs of others. 
I have power to delegate the needs of others. Remember what he says? All the people, all the peoples, all the peoples, all the pretty peoples, all the ugly peoples, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. When was the last time that someone was blessed through you? You know how God blesses people? Through other people. We go, bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me. And God's going, be a blessing, be a blessing, be a blessing. You be a blessing, you'll be blessed. You take care of the distribution, I'll take care of the product every single time. He will give you the power you need. They're sick. They need healing, Lord. Bless them with healing. Go ahead, bless them with healing. I'll give you the healing to give to them. That's what he did to the disciples. Jesus said, go and do the work of the ministry. Go do what I've been doing. Remember that? And then we get all careful. Well, I don't want to, I don't want to pray for someone and then I'll get healed. I don't want to try to give a prophetic word and be wrong. Why do you do that? Jesus said you have the power to do it. Go ahead and just move out in obedience. And if you screw up, then you go to the throne of grace and go, whoops. Boldly, here I come, Lord. I need to hear you better. All the peoples of the earth. How many people are being blessed through your life? How many people at your job are being blessed through you? How are your kids being blessed through you? How are your extended family members? How, how, about, how is your Facebook community being blessed through you? Are you always irritating and being a troll and being police, just correcting grammar all the time? That's all you do. Or are you being a blessing? Part of the, part of the reason why you're discouraged so much is because all you ever do is focus on everybody else and complain about them or your job, or wherever, whatever your circle is, be a blessing. So Jacob says this, how awesome is this place? One translation says that he was afraid. Have you ever, God ever done something so big in your life that it actually caused a fear to set in. He's like, whoa. I mean, when he says awesome here, he's not like, awesome. He's like, whoa. This is overwhelming. This is intense. Should I even be here? I mean, this is scarier than Esau. Surely the Lord is here. This is none other. And this is what he says. This is none other than God's house, God's dwelling place. This is the gate of heaven. That word in the Greek is, 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 it's uh, shahar. I'm probably mispronouncing it. I'm sure many of you will remember that part of my message. Bitter. I'm bitter. <laughs> that means the opening of heaven. And this is what it means. It's as if heaven was split open. The prophet says it this way, rend the heavens. Rip the heavens. It's like in this moment when Jacob says, I'm tired. I need to sleep. I mean, I, I should probably just keep going, but I think I'll take a nap. And he lays down and God goes, finally. This is my dream, Jacob, that you've been striving for your whole life. Here it is. And Jacob goes, whoa. How awesome. This is, 
This is the gate of heaven. This is the portal. It's like heaven's coming down and heaven's going up. And it's descending. It's like, it's like there's this place where heaven meets earth. It's not earthly. It's not heavenly. It's, it is heavenly. It is earthly. It's this exchange. It's awesome. It's the gates. It's where God comes. This is where God makes his dwelling. It's like God peeled back the heavens. It's kind of like that prayer that Jesus told us to pray in Matthew chapter 6. Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How can you pray that? How can you live that? Because you have access. Because you have permission. Because you have power to do it. This is what it says in Psalm 24, my favorite psalm right here. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. Now, typically, after Jacob gets his name changed, we don't talk about him so much. Sometimes God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But typically, we refer to the nation of Israel, not the nation of Jacob. And then he says this, referring to a generation, he throws the name Jacob in there. You're the Jacob generation. Why? Boy, look what he says. Lift up your heads, oh, you gates. So guess who's the gates? We the gates. Lift up your head, oh, you gates, that the king of glory may come in. That the king of glory may come and make his dwelling on the earth. You ascend, I descend. On earth as it is in heaven. Bring it, Lord. Ascend, descend. Ascend, descend. I'm ascending, I'm descending. I'm going to the Father, I'm bringing influence. I'm, going, I'm being blessed. I'm being a blessing. Today, l- l- let me continue. Matthew 16, verse 19, Jesus says this. Remember how Jesus said, all authority has been given to me? This is what he does, Matthew 16, 19. He tells Peter, who do you say I am? <laughs> You're Christ, right? He said, that's right, Peter. Your name's Peter. And upon this rock, here it is again. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. In fact, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. See, we're the gates. We're, we're the key holders. We unlock this thing. And so this event happens, which today is, if you don't know it, called Pentecost Sunday. Everybody say Pentecost. Now, when we talk about Pentecost, we're not, we're not talking about, you know, not cutting your hair right? Or not wearing makeup or covering your head and only wearing skirts. We're not talking about that. When we talk about Pentecost, we're talking about one of the main feasts that the Jewish people celebrated because the word Pentecost means 50. It's 50 days after Passover. It's 50 days after Easter. Remember Easter? That was 50 days ago. Whoa, that went fast. 50 days. So when the children of Israel left Egypt, that was Passover, and then when Moses goes up, 50 days later, to the mountain, and God gives him the law. That's why they celebrate Pentecost. It's 50 days after. Penta means 50. And it speaks of a second work. So God delivered the people, and now God gave the people instruction. Now, understand something. The disciples have been praying for Jesus to send his spirit. Remember, he said, you're going to do what I do? Just wait for me, and I'm going to give you my spirit to do it. So Pentecost Sunday is today. It's awesome that it ended today on this message. 
It says, what happened on Pentecost is the gate was open. So what happens, these guys are praying after Jesus ascends to heaven. They're praying. They're waiting on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes down, and it says that fire rests. Tracking? Fire rests on them. They had been resting and praying and fasting, and now the Holy Spirit was resting on them. Heaven opened, and then they begin to pray. They begin to speak in tongues. They begin to go out. They begin to lay hands on sick people, and they begin to look just like Jesus. See, originally in Pentecost, the Torah became the teacher. But after Pentecost, after Jesus was resurrected and sent his spirit, the spirit becomes our teacher. So before we had the law to be our teacher, now we have the spirit to be our teacher. Under the old covenant, we had external laws to tell us how to live, to to modify our behavior. And now we have relational leadership with the Holy Spirit. The law was written on stones. The spirit was written on hearts. When God gave the Torah on Mount Sinai and Moses came down, people were worshiping idols and 3,000 people died. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, walks outside, preaches the gospel, 3,000 people get saved. Pentecost. It's the difference maker. See, some of you have come to Jesus. You've had the resurrection experience, right? You've experienced it. You've come to Jesus. I've given my life to Jesus. But there's a second work. And sometimes you get the second work at the same time as the first work. It's awesome. But for me, it didn't happen that way. For me, it was like, probably further than 50 days out. It's probably like 150 days out. I, I seek to be baptized in the Holy Spirit for a long time. Not just have the Holy Spirit inside of me, but have the Holy Spirit pouring out of me and be empowered is what Jesus told the disciples. So Pentecost, this moment, this day in Acts chapter 2, opened the portal permanently on the earth. So it's where Jacob had a place that he went to and he said, surely this is the gate of heaven. Now a generation comes that was prophesied by the, by the, by the apostle, by the, the prophets, and then brought to Jesus. Jesus comes and says, I'm, I'm fulfilling all this stuff. I'm going to send my spirit. Then what happens on Pentecost is that it just doesn't become about one man, but all men can experience heaven on earth. Are you all tracking? Are you okay? Listen, Easter gave us permission, but Pentecost gave us power. And so I'm so glad that you've come to Jesus and experienced permission. You've experienced grace when you need it most. When you need it most is right now. I know it. But have you received power? Have you received the power that that keeps you from focusing on yourself so much? Have you received power to lay hands on sick people and then get healed? Oh, I don't have the gift of healing. You know, it's funny, in Acts chapter 2, that was, that was way before it was written about the gift of healing. They were all just like, we're supposed to do it, we're all supposed to do it. I mean, they administered some things later and go, okay, this may be what Jesus meant, let's try to figure this out. And let's... But we just do what Jesus did. The last thing that happens with Jacob, so he experiences all this stuff, and then he takes this rock. And he turns it up on his side, and it says that he makes a pillar. He made turn the pillow into a pillar, and then he pours oil on it. And then it says that he worshiped the Lord, that he gave the Lord a tithe to remember this place.
I think Jacob did this because he wanted to remember that it wasn't something he did. It wasn't something he strived for. It wasn't something he earned. You know, the, the, the greatest markers in my life, the greatest moments in my life weren't when I've worked so hard and accomplished something and could pat myself on the back or get a reward from men. Those aren't the greatest accomplishments. The greatest accomplishments in my life have been when I've been so desperate for God. And I was like, Lord, I can't do anything. And he goes, I got you right where I want you. You can't do anything. But watch. Lay down, rest your head. Watch what I'm about to do. And whenever I've seen God do those things in my life, those become the markers. I mean, those become the moments that I come back and I visit and I go, wow. I remember God. I'll, I'll drive by locations. I'll, I'll drive by the church that I experienced Pentecost at. And I'm like, man, I remember, I remember driving my kids by that church. Say, like, God's that church right there. That's where, that's where daddy gave his heart to Jesus. That's where daddy was filled with the Holy Spirit. I, there was a, there's a, a campground. I've, sh- I've shared some of this before. There's a campground in a place called Roaring Springs, Texas. There's no Roaring Spring there. It's a campground. It's not awesome at all. There's nothing awesome about the location. But I can take you to that place, and I could say right here. Right here is where God called me into ministry. See, God anoints, anoints moments and makes them monuments. And some of you need to have some moments in your life. But it's not going to come through your striving. It's going to come when you rest. It's going to come when you trust. And Jesus is that marker. Jesus is that pillar. I love how it says in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, it says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, how God the Father poured the oil on Jesus the rock, and he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil because God was with him. Thank you.